It's so uh, good to be able to be with you today in person. You have been prayed for often uh, within our body. Um, I cherish the, the friendship that I have been able to develop with Tim um, and the other pastors that are represented by each of these uh, pillar churches um, in this region. So grateful um, for gospel partnership. I think one of my greatest um, fears or concerns in, in coming from the Memphis area up into the mid-Atlantic was leaving behind a pastoral network of churches uh, who were together for the gospel, partnered together for the gospel, and the Lord graciously answered our prayer. Uh, so thank you, Tim. Um, I think you have seen the sermon text for today. It is Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3. Um, I know, uh, in speaking with Tim, that you all were in Ecclesiastes last year. Um, this is where our congregation is now. Um, so this is where my heart and my mind have been swimming um, and wanted to be able to return to the text uh, today um, here and be able to share some of what the Lord has been uh, teaching our body um, in the process. But if you would, uh, pray with me once again. Oh Lord, as we come before you this morning, we open up your word. I thank you for this church, and I thank you for her faithfulness. Thank you for just planting her now over 10 years ago. And I pray for the endeavors that we have coming forward of whatever that may be, Lord, that more faithful churches will raise up, rise up within this region um, and, and globally as well for the sake of the gospel. Lord, now as we open your word, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, hearts to receive um, and to respond faithfully uh, to the text at hand. Lord, may you be glorified through the preaching of your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And as you do, I'm curious, uh, how many of you enjoy or at one time enjoyed uh, playing with Legos? Very theological question to get us started this morning. At the same time, I feel a compulsory need to ask how many of you uh, despise Legos? Uh, <laughs> Those little landmines that you as parents may find yourself uh, stepping on from time to time in the most inopportune times um, in the middle of the night or in the morning. Well, my my son, who is with us today, and not to draw attention to him, but he, he loves Legos. Um, and I've been impressed. Um, he is very creative. You get to see the creativity of a child when they, when they, in their interest, when they begin to work with the, the Legos. But this past Christmas, he received several, several different sets of Legos and some of them being quite large sets of Legos, like upwards of like 1700 piece sets of, of Legos. And, to be honest, I thought that some of them were going to be a little too advanced uh, for him. But I was like, you know, we'll give it a shot. He can have fun. They'll turn into something else, whatever it may be, whatever it was. And at the same time, I was thinking, 
worst case scenario, this will take several days for him to do while he's on Christmas break, um, which is kind of like Lego daycare um, in, in the process. And so I was kind of looking forward to that. And he finished him in like a day. Uh, like one prize, 1,700 pieces is like done in, in a day. But regardless of the size of the build, a Lego project, they all start the same way. With a box and a picture, right? It's the box and the picture. That, that's the aim. That's the goal. That's what we're, we're striving for. And then you open the box and there's these various numbered bags. And the bigger the set, the more numbered bags you have within the set. And you begin to follow the instructions, or you're supposed to, step by step by step until the project is completed. And the hope is, is that when you're, when you're done with the project, your work will look like what? The box, right? You, the idea is that it will turn out looking like the picture on the box. And it will if, if you follow the instructions one step, one piece at a time. But anyone who ever has built one of these sets will be able to tell you following the instructions of Lego is not always the easiest thing to do. Um, it can be really frustrating at times. Um, it, it can be aggravating. Even the best of intentions can lead to, let's just be honest, some mistakes along the way. Maybe even a few tears from a builder ever so often. Which tells us what about Legos? It tells us that Legos are a lot like life. It tells us that Legos are a lot like life. Every, every life, however long that life is, is comprised of a countless number of pieces. You got big pieces. We got small pieces. We got those little T tiny pieces that are com- coming together to to compose to comprise uh, a life. Now, some of those pieces they come together nice and easy, don't they? Others of them, well. They take some trial and some error and multiple options kind of along the way to work them out and to figure them out as we go. Still others need some little help along the way to figure out. But every single piece serving as an important part of of fitting together and connecting to comprise the story of one's life. Well, this is what the preacher, the author of Ecclesiastes, tells us in our text today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. 
yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Now this text, particularly the first eight verses, is an incredibly well-known text, one that most of us are probably fairly familiar with. And it's probably the one that I have shared most frequently at the graveside services that I have had the privilege to conduct. This is a text that, that helpfully reminds us in a, in a very poetic way that there's a time and a place for everything under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A, a time to, to mourn and even a time to dance. And in that moment, um, in reading this at the graveside, after reading the text, I'll, I'll often say something like, this is our time to weep. This is our time to mourn. But for we who are in Christ, we do not weep or mourn as those without hope. We will laugh again. And we will dance. And I remember, as I said, these words at one particular graveside service. The widow of the deceased gave out a little chuckle as in this moment as she wept. As did some of the family members who were sitting around her. All of them began to kind of chuckle there at the graveside with tears in their eyes. Later that afternoon, she just outright laughed uh, again. She shared of her husband's total inability to dance, although he tried. (laughs) Oh, he tried. And so when I read these words at the graveside, that's what she remembered. His inability, uh, but silly attempts around the house to dance. And she laughed. And that's something that's always amazed me about the human existence. How weeping and laughing coincide and overlap even in the darkest and most difficult seasons of our life. Have you ever noticed that? It feels awkward to be at a funeral or to be standing in line uh, for a visitation and to laugh. But we do, don't we? We find ourselves doing that. And the question is, why? Why do we do that? Well, that's where today's text, I believe, very much comes into play. As the preacher tells us in verse 1, and if you're a note taker, this would be point one of the sermon. For everything there is a season and a time. For everything, there is a season and a time. Every season, every moment of life serving as one of however many countless numbers of pieces to our story. Some pieces we clearly recognize as significant pieces. 
These are the ones that we look back upon in our life and we can clearly see how they, how the Lord has used them to shape us into who we are today. They're the, the big pieces, the obvious pieces. Seeing how the Lord used this particular season or this particular event to, to teach us these things. And again, it's, it's obvious. It's, it's, we see it. Now, we may well may regret the decisions of those events, the circumstances of those events, but we recognize that if it were not for that bad decision even, we wouldn't be who we are today or where we are today. And those are the moments we look back upon. So we look back now and we see how those pieces fit together. Well, at the same time, there are those those things, other things in our life, let's just be honest, we just can't make sense of, Right? Things that we look at, think about, and we just, no matter how hard we try, we don't understand. It's like, what is the purpose of this peace? What is the purpose of this in my life? And they leave us asking the age-old question of what? Why? Brings out the cries that we see in the Psalms of why, O Lord? How long, O Lord? These are often the tragedies, the trials, the things that just don't make any sense to us. Especially when we begin to think about how our God is a loving God. And again, we're like, how? I don't understand. But then how many other things are there that we don't even give a second thought to throughout the course of a day? They're just what we'd consider the random, mundane pieces of an ordinary day, an ordinary life. Little pieces we may not even think about at all. But friends, they're far from insignificant. Whether we realize it or not. Well, this is the story of our life. Millions and millions of little pieces fitting together to build our story. But this is what we cannot forget in this. Even our personal, really, really significant pieces, the the big ones in our life, are small, even very, very tiny pieces of a much larger story. Much larger story. And see, what these opening verses do is they weave together ever so poetically to describe the rhythmic patterns of these pieces. All our various seasons and emotions and experiences and how they come together. The preacher clearly telling us here, there's a season and a time for it all. Like everything that's taking place in your life now, past, present, and future, there's a season and a time for it all. None of it is without purpose. And with that in mind, here's the question the preacher wants his listeners to answer. So you can, again, note takers, point number two with a question. What do we gain from the time that we have been given? What do we gain from the time that we have been given? It's the question found in verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? So take all of life. Everything that we do, every big piece, every little piece, every tiny piece. And what do we gain in the end? When our life is complete... And our time on earth is done. What do we gain from all the work that we have done under heaven, under the sun? What do we gain? This is the question the preacher wants us to be thinking about. This is the one that he wants us contemplating. And to help us get our answer, 
he shares a few key observations. So you can put this as sub-point number one, observation. God has made everything beautiful in its time. God has made everything beautiful in its time. And notice the word everything there again. See, at first in verse 1, when he states, for everything there is a season and a time. And then here in the first part of verse 11, he says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Oh, such a needed reminder, is it not? (laughs) At least for me. (laughs) I need to be reminded of this because there are sometimes I find life's beauty really hard to see through the tears, through the pain, through the sorrow, the fog of life, or or maybe the straight-up darkness of certain seasons of life easily cause us to forget that which is good and lovely and beautiful. Cause us not to see what, what God is teaching us. Can even, if we're honest, cause us to doubt God's goodness, can it not? To doubt God's plan. Even to doubt God Himself. Because it just doesn't make any sense to our finite minds. But you know what God tell, is telling us through His Word? Trust me. Over and over again, He's telling us, Trust me, everything is beautiful in its time. Trust me. Friends, I can't tell you how many times sitting in a hospital room or a hospice house or at a funeral, a loved one has has said, I I can't believe, (laughs) of all the memories that we have shared and all the memories that we have, all the years spent together, these are the things that are coming into my mind right now. Maybe you can relate. Ever felt that way of just like, you almost feel bad for thinking about the things that you're thinking about in that particular moment, time of grief, and you've got the most random memories popping into your mind, like a memory of dancing while at the graveside? Like who knew in that moment that the spontaneous goofy dance would be the memory that would surface at a graveside? No one doing it. No one participating thought that. It wasn't planned to be a memorable moment. It was just something goofy you do around the house when no one's looking. Just a goofy moment in time that God, in his merciful providence, tucked away in the recesses of your mind to comfort you at the exact appropriate time that you would need it. To give you a laugh and as a brief reprieve from the tears at just the right moment of his providential plan. Oh, such goodness and love and tender care from our God in the midst of our sorrow. Sorrow that he knew was coming long before we ever did and he was preparing our hearts to receive it. Even consider for a moment why we weep and why we mourn when someone close to us dies. Yes, because it's sad. Yes, because death is our greatest of enemies. But it's because before we ever wept, before we ever mourned, we loved, we laughed, we danced. We enjoyed beauty in its time, however so fleeting or how long that time may have been. 
But church, our, our tears are also a powerful reminder that life's not supposed to be this way. Every time we cry, we're reminded life is not supposed to be this way. It's the perpetual reminder of the brokenness that abounds within a fallen world. A perpetual reminder of the peace that we're longing for and can never seem to, to find. And when any semblance of peace is found in our human efforts, it's what? It's fleeting. It's here one moment, it's gone the next, it doesn't last. Why? Because we live in a world that is marred by sin and death. And we are perpetually reminded over and over and over through our tears that this world is not our home. At least that's what we're intended to learn here, that this world is not our home. That's the preacher's reminder in the second part of verse 11. So the second observation here, God has put eternity into our hearts. God has put eternity into our hearts. Notice the wording in the text in verse 11. He has made, he has put. Two little words, but so very important and powerful words. Teaching us of God's sovereignty over everything. He has, he has made everything beautiful in its time, as the text says. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that, love those moments, so that for the purpose of, he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What's the preacher doing here? He's describing our inability to view life's big picture. He's showing us how, how we live in time, how we're bound by the constraints of time, while at the same time longing for eternity, whether we realize it or not. We know deep down within us, with a Romans 1 understanding, that there's more to this. We want more. We're longing for more. We're wired for more. But we don't know how it all works together. So hard for our finite minds to grasp. This is where we're all like little kindergartners. <laughs> a little kindergartner is trying to grasp the concept of time. Ever experienced this, parents? Trying to teach your children the concept of time? Let me illustrate this a little further by borrowing from author Jen Wilkin as she tells the story of her children's kindergarten teacher. Teacher's name of all things is Mrs. Greek. Like, well, yeah, there you go. But how Mrs. Greek explained every year at the, the parent, the meet and meet the teacher night for every child that she ever had, every year she'd have the same teacher and they would give this lesson all the time. She would tell them how she would share at the start of every school year, each Monday, that she begins by instructing the class to take out their journals and write at the top of the page, today is Monday. Yesterday was Sunday. Tomorrow is Tuesday. The class follows along with those instructions and harmony reigns throughout the class. That is until Tuesday comes. Because when Tuesday comes, when the process is repeated, she gives the instruction. Today is Tuesday. And the moment she says today is Tuesday, Confusion is on the face of all the children in the classroom, like wondering, like, okay, something's off here. 
Looks like that they're confused in this moment. And then the moment she instructs them to write, yesterday was Monday, hands go up around the class. Confusion and hands go up. Little voices say, Mrs. Greek, you told us that today was Monday. And she would then explain, no, Monday was yesterday. Today is Tuesday. Ah, but Mrs. Greek, you told us tomorrow is Tuesday. No, today is Tuesday. Tomorrow is Wednesday. Poor little children are so confused at this moment. They they don't understand the lesson. They don't understand the paradox of of time. Why? Because five-year-olds, no offense to any five-year-olds who've got time down, but five-year-olds typically have a very difficult time grasping the concept of today, yesterday, and tomorrow. See, the problem isn't with what the teacher is teaching here. It's true. The problem is with the inability of her students to understand the concept. Oh, friends, how applicable this illustration is to our inability to understand eternity and our inability to fully understand a God who extends the bounds of time that he himself created. He tells us everything is beautiful in its time. But let's be honest, we don't understand how half the time, right? We don't see it. We don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Oh, but here's the thing. And it's a good thing. We don't have to understand. We don't have to understand. But we must trust the one who does. One of the Lego creations my son worked on over Christmas was a model Yoda from uh, Star Wars. 1,771 pieces to be exact. He was so proud of it when he finished. And it looked great. Like he had every reason to be proud of that work when he finished. And as a father, I didn't have the heart to tell him that the hand was on backwards um, there. Because overall, it looked fantastic. It was a great work. Now fast forward a couple days. He and I are in there watching probably one of the bowl games that are taking place or one of the NFL football games that are on. And in the other room, we hear this crash, followed by a scream, followed by my wife, not pointing her out in the room at all, saying, I'm so sorry. We race into the other room. Yeah, heads off. Pieces are all over the floor. My son is, well, let's just say, very sad and frustrated in that moment. Now, if I would have told my son before he even began to build that two days later, after the completion, Yoda is going to crash to the floor, do you think that he would have been or done the work with as much joy and determination? Probably not. Why? Because he would have done it all, uh, what we're all prone to do. He'd been continually focused on the bad. He would have been focused on what's to come. And not enjoyed the journey, not enjoyed the moment in the time. He wouldn't understand the purpose of building it if it's all going to come crashing down to begin with. Why? Consider the story of Joseph as an example. First, his brothers sold him into slavery. 
And essentially his life came crashing down the moment they sold him into slavery, or so it would appear to, to him. He was then falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. Interprets a dream only to be forgotten yet again. Over 20 years pass before he rises to second in command over all of Egypt. And he's able to look his brothers in the eye and say, what you intended for evil, God intended for, for good. But Joseph wasn't sitting in prison knowing how this story was all going to play out. He had no idea how it was going to play out. For all knew, all he knew, he was going to die in prison. Probably never thought he would see his father again. Never, never was promised that he would. But what did he not do? He, he never stopped trusting the one who is sovereign over time. Now, does this mean that he didn't have any questions along the way? Oh, I'm sure he had questions along the way. I'm sure the word why came out of his mouth quite often. I'm sure how long, oh Lord, came out of his mouth quite often. Like a five-year-old trying to understand today, yesterday, and tomorrow. All kinds of questions. All kinds of confusion. Wondering if God had forgotten him. Not understanding the pain, the sorrow, the loss that he was experiencing. But he kept trusting. And friends, that's the key to genuine faith. That's the key to genuine faith. Trust. Trust. Trust that God is connecting the pieces of our life in a way that may never make sense to us but in a way that is beautiful and good and according to his plan, trusting that the Lord is the one who makes a crooked path straight, trusting that he will make that which is broken in this world right. Why? Because he promises us he will. It's the purpose of the cross and the empty tomb. What we celebrated last week, what we celebrate every week of making the wrongs of this world right. But now remember how I told you that the completed Yoda's hand was put on backwards? Well, when Yoda came crashing to the floor, his hand, along with his head, (laughs) and all the other pieces came off. They shattered. Pieces, again, all over the floor. Now, was that part of my son's plan? Absolutely not. As I said, he was very sad. And very frustrated that this had happened. He may not have built it if he had known. And definitely would not have enjoyed building it the way he did if he knew what was going to happen two days later. But here's what that crash allowed to happen. It gave me, as his father, the opportunity to comfort him and to tell him it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. It gave me the opportunity to remind him, trust me. And then what did I do? I took him into my loving arms, and we, I, put what was broken back together, piece by piece by piece. This time, with a hand on straight. This time, with a hand in the right position. That which was broken was made new. And friends, this is what God is doing and promises to do within this broken world. It's the good news of the gospel. 
It's, it's the hope in the midst of the darkness. Consider Joseph once again. Even after he told his brothers what, what they intended, what they had planned for evil, that God had planned for good, he still didn't understand the even bigger picture, did he? Oh, that God sent him ahead to Egypt to preserve the line of Judah, from whom would come the Christ, the Savior of the world. He didn't understand that that information any more than we understand how all of our pieces are fitting together for a much larger plan. See, we can't control our yesterday. It's gone. It's done. Tomorrow, oh, tomorrow is going to bring its own worries and trials and pieces to God's plan. But what do we have? We have today. And what are we to do today? The third observation, there is nothing better than to be joyful and to do good. There is nothing better than to be joyful and to do good. And when difficulties and trials come, and when tragedy strikes, and when setbacks occur, and dreams are delayed, we pick up the pieces and we keep pressing on in the faith. We eat and we drink and we take pleasure in all of our toil, all of our work, everything we do, even when it comes crashing down. Why? Because the time, the time that we have been given is a gift from God. Even the parts, friends, that we don't understand. And of course, the question is how? <laughs> how do we really make the most of the time that we have been given? Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Enjoy today. Live for Today, this is picking up the theme of chapter 2. Enjoy the pleasures that God has given in the way that He, as a creator, has designed for them to be enjoyed. That's not just eat, drink, and be merry. That's enjoy God's creation in the way that He has designed for it to be enjoyed. But don't wish the seasons of life away. Oh, I'm guilty of that. But they're fleeting enough as it is, are they not? Rather, embrace the times that we have been given as a gift and use the time as the gift giver has intended for the time to be given, to be used. Remembering that we only got one life to live. Reminds me of a poetic poem from C.T. Studd. Maybe you've heard it, only one life to live, which will soon be passed. Then the reminder... Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, such a needed reminder. Which is a reminder of the fourth observation. Whatever God does endures forever. Which sounds simple enough, right? But the implications and applications of this are are massive. Because again, God is sovereign over it all. Just consider who among us chose to be born. (laughs) Or who among us chose like the family or the culture that we would be born into? None of us in this room did. We may or may not have even been a part of our parents' grand plan for their life. But each and every one of us were a part of God's grand plan. Every one of us. As Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans the preacher tells us here in Ecclesiastes, nothing can be added to. 
nor anything taken away from. They're set. They're not happenstance. They're not random. Which is the truth that tends to make some people uncomfortable. Leads some to think, like, what's the purpose then? If it's all set, then what's the purpose? If, If nothing can be added to, nor anything taken away from God's plans, then, then what do our decisions and our actions matter? And while I get the question, believe me, it's a question I have asked myself a numerous times. I'm reminded it's a question that comes from between the horizons of life lived underneath the sun. It's a question that is asked by those of us who are bound by time, who don't have the answers to the whys and the whats and the hows. But those, it's asked by those who can't see the cover of the Lego box, if you will. See, we don't know how all the pieces fit together and, and what our life is intended to look like, like in the end. We think we do, but we don't know. Nor do we see how it's being used in the bigger story of God's design, which can lead us to worry, can lead us to anxiety and frustration and trying to piece our life together on our own without following God's instructions. How many of us have been guilty of this? Choosing the path of folly rather than the path of wisdom because it looks better, it looks more appealing, it's going to get us to our desired objective of what that box looks like. But church, this is where we can't forget that God is timeless. Above time, if you will. Creator of time. He he sees yesterday and he sees today and tomorrow all at the same time equally. (laughs) Let that blow your mind as you contemplate it. (laughs) He sees and knows and ordains how every piece fits together. He's written the end from the beginning He makes the impossibly crooked path straight. That which is broken, he restores. Which means even the most tragic moments in our lives, our biggest mess-ups, and we've all made them, our most sorrowful of seasons of mourning and weeping, friends, none of it is without purpose. None of it is without purpose. Now, like Joseph, we may never understand their ultimate purpose, But God's sovereignty assures us that there isn't one thing that happens in this world that is void of meaning and purpose. Not one. Because whatever God does endures forever. As verse 15 tells us, that which is already has been made. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. Friends, there is nothing we can do to change our past. Nor is there anything that we ourselves can do to ultimately change our future. Which somebody may be thinking in your head, well, that sounds just wonderfully encouraging there, Pastor. Like, how in the world? But I promise you it is. I promise you this is encouraging. Because the key word there is we. We. There's nothing we can do. Our works will never be enough. Like trying to build a Lego creation of 1,771 pieces without a picture, without instructions, and expecting it to turn out exactly right. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. We can't, but God can. 
And friends, God has. As verse 15 tells us, our third and final point, God seeks what has been driven away. And how does he do that? Uh, friends, the timeless one entered into time to seek and to save the lost. He sent his son to make the crooked path straight, to redeem that which is broken. Galatians 4, 4, jot that down in your notes, telling us when the fullness of time had come. Did you catch that? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And then, after living the sinless life under the sun that we were intended to live, at the exact appointed time, Not a minute before, not a minute after, the exact appointed time, Jesus went to the cross. And again, at the exact appointed time, he declared the words, it is finished. And he died. Again, not a minute before, not a minute after. Romans 5, 6 telling us at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for the broken but friends could the grave hold him no because on the third day not the second day not the fourth day not the fifth day but the third day just as scripture promised just as Jesus himself had foretold and told his disciples three different times he rose from the grave and we're told that at the right time he will return and the dead in Christ will rise that which is broken will be made new and there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more death there will be joy see when we stop and we think about it as the author Phil Riken helps us to see Jesus is always on time He is always on time. See, Jesus knew when it was time to plant. And he knew when it was time to scatter the seed. He knew when it was time to heal. He knew when it was time to rebuke. And he knew when it was time to break down. He also knew when it was time to build up. Knew when it was time to teach. He knew when it was time to weep and he knew when it was time to mourn and when it was time to seek and when it was time to cast out and when it was time to speak. And as Ecclesiastes says, he knew when it was time to be silent. Suffering in silence as he went to the cross. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And friends, the reason Jesus is always on time is because he is sovereign over it. And because he is sovereign over it, we can trust him when he says, for everything there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven. And so now whatever season that you find yourself in, friends, now is the time to live. Now is the time to live for Christ. To follow the instructions that he has so graciously given us in his word. And trust, no matter how difficult it may be, that in the end, every piece will connect 
just as God designed. And it will be beautiful in its time. Only one life to live, which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, there's so much I'll admit that I don't understand. So many questions of why. So many times my heart will say, how long, oh, Lord? But, Lord, help us to trust. Help us to recognize, as your word teaches us, that you are sovereign over everything. And in your sovereignty, you have demonstrated your love for us through your son who entered into time and took on flesh and lived the life that we were intended to live and die the death that we deserve to die to give us a hope and a future that we don't deserve to have. All for your glory. (laughs) And so, Lord, today, if there be one here who, one, has never trusted you as Lord and Savior of their life, trusting you as their only hope in life and in death, Lord, I pray that today will be that day. Lord, help them to ask the question, how? Compel them to call upon the name of the Lord and they will be saved. Before, Lord, all the believers who are in this room, praise God for your grace bringing us to you, to Christ, in your perfect timing, all the different ages and all different circumstances, allowing us to hear the gospel by your sovereign hand, allowing us through the Spirit to to believe all such good news, good pieces fitting together. And now help us to be faithful to take this good news to a lost and broken world, to those who are hurting and crying and weeping, Let us be faithful to the task you set before us. We say thank you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.